It's lava lamps. <laughs> Psalm 62. As we continue. <clears throat> I, I, you know, I think you can move crystals with a tuning fork. I believe so. <laughs> so I know you can go in for a tune-up. You can just kind of bang on those and hold them up there. But it is amazing how, how the body is, is created and made. All right. We are moving on. To verse 7 anyway. <laughs> moving on to verse 7. This is making a comeback part 4. Part 4. I think that's how August Rosado would say it. Pat four. And right now, the way my throat is, that's the only way I can say it. And it's not sore. I have no idea, but I just kind of felt an onset of the just kind of losing my voice again. I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe God's trying to tell me something. Huh? Anyway, as we look at it tonight, verse 7, Psalm 62. It says, In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. When we assume that nothing good can come from something bad in our lives, we tend to throw in the towel and we tend to give up. Daniel could have taken this route of discouragement and he could have quit. Joseph as well could have given up on the sovereignty of God concerning how his life was trending. Job is one of those historical figures that had he quit on God, he would never have realized or seen the greatness of God work in his life. There are some lyrics in a chorus that contains these or similar words that, I'm trying to think, I got the wrong title down for that one, but anyway. It kind of begins with this one. Mommy told me something. You remember this? A little kid should know. It's all about the devil. And I've learned to hate him so. She said he causes trouble when you let him in the room. He will never leave you in if your heart is filled with gloom. So let the sun shine in. Face it with a grin. Smilers never lose and frowners never win. So let the sun shine in, face it with a grin, open your heart, and let the sun shine in. Now there's several more choruses, and it's a kid's song. Well, I don't, we may have sung it in BBS at one particular point, I don't know. But it really captures and encapsulates the, uh, the way Christians should be handling life. Whether we're on a mountaintop or on the way down the valley or we're in the valley and on the way up the mountainside, I don't know. But we've got to learn to handle life differently than what most of the time we do. We get discouraged. We get angry with God. <clears throat> we try to tell God that he doesn't know what he's doing. We try to tell God this is not a good time. God, I would have chosen a different route. <clears throat> But there are some things that God knows that we don't know. 
Now, it may seem overly simplistic, yet there is a lot of truth in that little chorus in Psalms as it pertains to the attitude of one's heart when we're facing some tough times. We can face it and grimace, or we can face it with a smile because we know that God's got something in it. And the only way we're going to find out is that we've got to go through it with the right attitude as we move through it. So we have been going through Psalm 62 and pulling out some important steps that we can take when in recovering from some difficult times as we have seen lately with King David in his attempt, not his attempt, but his, his uh, desire to be an overcomer. Not to be overcome, but to be an overcomer. And oftentimes that is our biggest problem, that we become overcome rather than becoming an overcomer, getting on top of our problems. So we said step number one from Psalm 62 and verse 1. Be sure to put things in perspective, verse 1. And always know, you know, when, when Allison was saying on her list that God reminded her that he needed to be at the top of the list. And I got to thinking, well, why, why isn't every list God at the top? So we're mindful that as we go down through the list that we need to maybe give this over to God. Oh, we need to let God direct us here, direct us there, and we need to put this over in the hands of God rather than trying to take uh, in our in our own control and then letting letting God come in when things didn't go exactly the way we had thought. So that was a great thought there that uh, God should be at the top of all of our lists uh, to do this as as our activity list as well. <clears throat> but number two, uh, be sure to rededicate your life to God. Go back and remember when you were first saved and all the hope and all the promise, the sparkle in the eye and the and the song in your heart that you had. Go back and remember those days because really nothing has changed in your relationship between you and God. You may have gone through some tough times, but God went through them with you. He walked with you hand in hand, step for step. And then, of course, that was in Psalm 62, verse 2. And step number 3 is in Psalm 62 and verse 3. Be sure to face your fears rather than run from God. And it's a lot of times you see people do that. They get angry with God, so they stop praying. They stop going to church. They stop reading their Bible. And they stop fellowship with believers. They just kind of kind of to drop out altogether. Well, that's foolishness. That's running from God. That's what that really is. At a time when we need God, that's the time that we rush toward him, not away from him. And the reality is that if, if you've got a splitting migraine headache, you don't run away from the medicine cabinet if you've got a cure in there, do you? You know you've got some uh, pills or you've got some migraine headache pills or whatever it is. Uh, you go to the medicine cabinet and you take them and you wait for the relief. And we need to learn to rush toward God, to embrace him. And step number four from Psalm 62 and verse five was be sure to take your own advice. Uh, when people come to us and they seek counsel, they seek advice, usually we can give it to them. Our kids, our young people will come to us sometimes and ask, what would you do in a situation like this? Now, it may, be, it may not be anything spiritual necessarily, uh, but... When we're looking at life in general, I can't think of anything that should be divorced or separated from our relationship with God. We're in this together with the Lord, with God, and with his word. And so we have to realize that if we have been saved for any length of time, we've been in the Bible, and we've been in church attendance, and we've been at, at, at gatherings, like we go to couples retreats, and we go to... Uh, 
uh, have Brother Rosado in here. And so there's just a number of people that we have exposed ourselves to over the years, spiritually speaking, that uh, we've learned and we've gleaned and we've applied them to our own lives or we've applied them to our own marriages and our own to our own family dynamics. And so we can give counsel. And uh, sometimes we have to realize, okay, I'm going to sit back now. If this were somebody else, what would I tell them to do? And then sit down and take your own advice. Because if you prayed about it, God's going to lead you and guide you and direct you. Then, of course, we said step number five, be determined to get back on top. Don't settle for the valley. Uh, God has mountaintops and he has valleys. And they're there for a reason. Uh, the valleys will humble us from the mountaintops, and the mountaintops will lift us up from the valleys as well. And so we have to learn to deal with these things, and the idea be determined to get back on top, not to allow Satan. Uh, we may have done some things that we deeply, deeply regret, and we brought them before the Lord. The Lord's forgiven us. Uh, God's forgotten all about it, but we haven't, and the devil hasn't. And so he'll keep picking at us, keep picking at us, and won't let us forget that which we have put under the blood. And so we need to be determined to get back on top and tell the devil, uh, listen, I'm headed, up, I'm headed up this hill. I'm going to get to the mountaintop here in, in God's timing. And so tonight, I'm going to look at the step number, number should be number six, and I got 36. I didn't realize I had preached that many in between here. <laughs> Talking about my typos this morning. Uh, but step number six is be sure to remember. I think this is very important. Be sure to remember that good times can come from bad times. Amen? Good times. In other words, we can learn from our mistakes. And if we learn from our mistakes, that's good. If we don't learn from our mistakes, that's bad. And we're bound to repeat it until, we finally, until it finally sinks in. So in Psalm 62, in verse 7, it says, In God is my salvation. But it says, And my uh, my glory and my glory and so in God is my salvation and my glory if I go through this with the Lord and I find biblical answers I'm being led of the Holy Spirit of God and I'm reclaiming that ground that I might have lost spiritually I'm reclaiming it and I'm moving forward then you know what? Uh, God says, uh, the other end of that is, his glory becomes our glory. So even though the New Testament had not been written in David's day, yet we see that he has discovered that God can turn things around and bring good out of difficult circumstances. And so this uh, verse here, 62 verse 7, is akin to Romans chapter 8, in verse 36 or 38, I believe it is 38. And we'll see it in a little bit. So now this is not an excuse to do or to live as we please and somehow reason that God has our back and he's going to bring us out of these. I think some people have gotten themselves into messes and uh, they, they have sinned away the day of God's grace of recovery that they don't recover. But for others... If you have been convicted and you sense that, well, I feel the presence of God. I, I know he hasn't given up on me and I'm going to repent. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to yield and I'm going to move forward again. Then God will bring you on that path. Now, unfortunately, I, professing believers have this idea 
that they can live like the world and in the end they get a pass because they're saved. That may work with mommies and daddies. You know, sons have a way of, of wrapping mommies around their fingers and girls have a way of wrapping daddies around their fingers as well, right? When that comes down to it. And we, we have the idea that uh, somehow God's going to be dismissive of, of some of the things that we knew that we should not have done, but we just kept on doing them. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 32, we use this in communion service, and I am and I, and sure to mention it very often. <clears throat> Oops, I won't find it in 2 Corinthians, will I? There we go. And uh, verse uh, 32, he says, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be what? Condemned with the world. Now that word condemned means worthy of judgment or worthy of chastisement. Listen, uh, God, I should say, some of the, there are activities in the world and there are things that take place in the world that are harmful to us physically and spiritually as well. And if we're going to play footloose and fancy free with our salvation and assume, well, I've got my ticket, so, no matter, so, so that no matter what I do, I'm going to get there. Well, it's bad enough when, well, I want to use the word bad enough. Uh, it, it may be misunderstanding sometimes when God allows good people to go through some difficult times. But we know in our hearts that God has a reason and God has a purpose. But when we choose to live like the world and we get diseases that the world gets and we have to pay the price of some of these diseases because we got involved with them at, at the same level as the world, then we're not exempt because we're Christians. We're going to pay the same price. And God will let that judgment come upon us. To what degree, it really depends on, on what he knows about our heart because some of, the, some of us can be pretty pig-headed. And God needs to really kind of turn up the burners a little bit. He needs to turn up the heaters, amen, uh, on us from time to time. Now, Paul warned in an indirect way that if we live like the world, we're not exempt from the consequences of that lifestyle as it pertains to sickness, diseases, ruined lives, and marriages, just to name a few. If God's people are going to be disobedient to, to, the, to God and they're going to act like the world or take their cues from the world, then, yeah, our marriages are going to suffer. Our family lives are going to suffer. It's hard enough even with a Christian, uh, with a Christian home living in a, in, a, in, a, in a day and age like we live in. But God will bring about or allow whatever emotion or physical pain is necessary to get our attention and offer through repentance a restoration of fellowship. And I mean, that's one of the great concerns that we have as parents. It's one we have as grandparents. We know that there's going to be a payday someday. Now, they're, if they're genuinely saved, they're still going to go to heaven. But that doesn't mean that God isn't going to pull the rug out from underneath them at some point along the way. And that's when our heart will take that, that skip of a beat because we know that's going to come. And yet they're living oblivious to the fact that either there is no God or that God really doesn't care because he hasn't, he hasn't done anything to me yet. Well, God will give them as, mu as much latitude as he thinks they need before he pulls that rug out from underneath us. 
So unfortunately, along with restoration, we bring a lot of difficult baggage. So once they, that uh, moment of judgment, that moment of chastisement that God knows we're worthy of, then we have to realize that during that time of activity, we are creating excess luggage, excess baggage for the day that when, when we do surrender and we do fall on our faces and we do repent of, of our lifestyle, of, of our sin against God, he doesn't take that luggage and throw it off to the side somewhere. We have to carry that luggage with us in our conscience, in our heart of hearts. Not only that, but the devil won't let us forget it. He won't let us forget what we had become. Even though the Holy Spirit reminds us that's history. you got to move forward. But the conscience is something that you and I don't really want to play around with and mess around with. Now, along with restoration, we bring a lot of difficult baggage that will, that will be used by Satan to beat us down and make it very difficult for us to move forward. So, in the record of Joseph, Satan understood the bickering and the arguing of Jacob's sons. Satan knew also of Joseph's dream, which he had told his family, and Satan figured something was up, and he did his best to intervene. So as much as they disliked him, that is, as much as his brothers didn't like, like him, Satan turned up the heat and turned their dislike to hatred. I don't think Jacob helped a whole lot in that, but nonetheless, they got to the point where they so hated their brother, they were willing to kill him. Only because of the oldest in the family did they not kill him. They sold him as a slave to the Sabaeans and down into, uh, down into Egypt. And so Satan used the poor dynamics to attempt to thwart God's plan whatsoever it was. And I don't, I don't think Satan fully understands what God has in mind for the future. I'm pretty sure he's kind of getting pretty close to 2 plus 2 is 4. But there are things that happen down throughout history that he has tried to destroy God's plan all along the way. And he hasn't succeeded, but it's not going to stop him from trying. And so we know the historical account in the final chapters of Genesis, the conscience of Joseph's brothers, plagued them for years. They had to come back and lie to their father. And they, and they, and they watched the misery that, that the possibility of having lost his, his favorite son to, to a wild beast plagued Jacob. It plagued him. And it plagued him. But you know, I believe it also plagued the brothers. They knew what they had done. And we see that if you were to go through the book of Genesis and go through 48, well, about 47, 48, 49, and 50, that, remember when, uh, when uh, Joseph had put the, the money and his uh, chalice in the, uh, in the youngest son's bag? Not, not Benjamin, but the next youngest anyway. And immediately their conscience, when they found and discovered it was there, God is getting even with us. God is seeking retribution for what we had done to our brother Joseph. And so it's amazing how at times our conscience goes back to the past. And the devil loves to pick at it and bring it forward to stop us, 
to thwart our forward movement and spiritual growth. And so Joseph went through those trials, innocent, did nothing worthy of all the things. There was no chastisement on God's part in Joseph's life. It was a school of hard knocks because God had some great things in store for Joseph. But Joseph was innocent, and yet he endured a lot of things that most of us, boy, I'll tell you what, I think I would have thrown the towel in day one, right from the beginning. But he behaved himself righteously, and this is where we, we need to understand all of this, in that whether we are innocent or guilty, and we have the presence of our mind of the Lord, that God is chastising us. Or we could be like Job and search our hearts and say, I don't know what I've done. I can't, I can't discover. I can't think of anything that I would have done that would have caused God to bring this upon me. And Job was innocent. Joseph was innocent. And yet they endured some really rigorous hardships. They suffered for righteousness sake. But he behaved himself righteously through them all. And God brought something great something glorious from it all. And because Joseph maintained his faith in God, knowing that God was his salvation, that God would also be his glory. And in the end, he became second highest to Pharaoh in all the land. And God used him greatly to save many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people alive. And so Joseph had a clear conscience. And his brothers had a very troubled conscience because when they had buried their father Jacob, they came to Joseph and, and begged him to forgive him. And he said, am I in the place of God? God meant this for good. You meant it for, excuse me, you meant it for bad. God meant it for good to save much alive, many people alive. And so there was no excess baggage in Joseph's life. He had no regrets. He didn't have to look back and say, oh boy, I never should have done this, I never should have done that. Joe really didn't have to look back after it was all over and say, boy, I could have done something different. I don't know. I don't think I did anything that I deserved this, but God saw it necessary. And so, and, and how they handled their lives prior to these trials, how they handled themselves in these trials made it possible for God to glorify them. And so, again, there was no excess baggage because Joseph was faithful. His brothers had years of troubled, of a troubled, guilty conscience. That's why it's so important. Get these things straightened out before the Lord. Don't let them fester until you can't live with yourself. Romans 8, 28 is, a very, sim is very similar to Psalm 62 and verse 7. In that good things do work their way out to those who love the Lord. And so the Bible says all things work together for good to them who uh, love God, to them who are they're called according to his purpose. God had a purpose in Joseph's life. And, and, and for Joseph to get to that place where, where God's purpose would be come to full fruition, he had to go through those trials to see whether or not he would remain faithful to God when he got to the mountaintop from out of the valley experience. Job, really, he was in the same set of circumstances as well. Things did work together for good to him uh, because he had more in the end than he had when he, when, before he lost everything in the beginning. 
And so in Joseph's ordeal, he loved God and he remained faithful in spite of the turn of events. Joseph called according to God's purpose, though I'm sure Joseph had no idea what that purpose was or would be. He had to hang on to those two very real dreams that he had for over 20 years to realize that God had a reason. First of all, for the dreams, then for the turn of events, and he put his trust in God even though he couldn't completely understand the outcome. But he got it right in the end, didn't he? You meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And so, because Joseph remained faithful, he did get to see God's purpose, which was, as I said, declared in verse 20 of Genesis 50. You meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. Like King David and Joseph, even, even Job, though at the time things looked terrible, trusting in God to completely create something wonderful, something that is good out of our present circumstances, is always amazing. Don't get impatient with God. Continue to be faithful no matter how difficult it, it may even get more difficult than you could possibly imagine. But never lose faith in God. Something that is good out of our present circumstances is always amazing because there is no excess baggage to have to deal with. We don't have to go back and say, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. You go back and say, I am glad I did what God wanted me to do the way God wanted me to do it. Will it be easy? I wonder who had the less troubled conscience in the end. Joseph's brothers or Joseph? I believe his brothers were very troubled, very troubled. And so when our hearts are right with God and we endure God will glorify himself through us. Thereby, as David said, in God is my salvation. He's going to deliver me. He's going to take me through. He's going to carry me through safely. And he will not only be my salvation, but he will be my glory. God can still make something beautiful out of our life, even if we are the ones who ruin our testimony. If we are willing to repent, willing to surrender, rededicate our lives, God can make something beautiful. And so Joseph remained faithful though some of the, through some of the lowest points in his life. Or his brothers who hated him so much that they sold him and lied to their father for years. But he didn't have any, any regrets for what God led him through. If we're going to choose to sin, we must realize that with it comes a nagging and a troubled conscience. I've been there. I've experienced that. It's not fun. It's a part of the cost of doing business with sin. How we enter and handle the bad times in our lives will play heavily into how God can work with us in the end of it. Amen? So, Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, in whom, uh, to them 
who are the called according to his purpose. And then, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Amen. Our God is a great God. A great God. All right. Prayer time tonight. I did add Lorraine.